Let's read the scripture. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, tomorrow is the first day of 2024, January 1st. It's the day when we will make New Year's resolutions. We will commit ourselves to some new practice or to making some changes in our behavior. It's when we finally decide to start doing the things we know we should and to stop doing the things that we know we shouldn't. Lots of us make resolutions. I know that because starting tomorrow, when I go to the Y, it will be unusually crowded (laughs) for about a month. And then things will get back to normal. We mean well, but our resolve doesn't seem to stick. To change seems hard. I remember a friend talking to me about how difficult it was to give up tobacco. He was a little surprised when I told him that it wasn't hard at all. I had done it hundreds of times. (laughs) We resolve to make a change, but the old behavior patterns feel too entrenched. The behavioral ruts seem too deep, and we slide back into the old familiar ways. As Jesus said in a little different context, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I suppose it is. But what if the answer to our weak flesh problem isn't more willpower, but more spirit? Rene Girard, and this is on the front of your bulletin, had this to say about the nature of our resolutions. Few people want to be saints nowadays, but everybody's trying to lose weight. What if he's right? Maybe we're working on the wrong thing. Maybe if we first tended to our souls, became saints, those other things might begin to fall into place. Maybe before we try to modify our behavior, we first need to become a particular kind of person. Maybe we don't need to overcome our desires so much as we need to have our desires transformed to become saints. That's what we're going to explore this morning. What does it mean to be a saint and what difference might it make in becoming one? 
So what does the Bible mean when it talks about saints? Well, in the, in the Bible, in the English word saint is translated from a Greek word, hagios. When we read our English Bibles, the words saint, sanctified, sanctuary, consecrated, holy, they all come from a form of that particular word. Now, we tend to think of a saint as describing somebody who is particularly righteous. And that can be true, but more generally, it has to do, like Stephanie said, being set apart. Like this sanctuary is set apart for particular uses. In the Old Testament, the tools that were used in the sacrificial system were said to be sanctified, holy, set apart. You were not to use them for common, everyday purposes. But that's not just places and things. People can also be set apart. They can be sanctified or sainted. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Paul develops this idea further in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here, Paul has just given a whole long list of, of bad behaviors. And these are things that just characterize normal life in Corinth. And then he says this about the Corinthian church. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Corinthians used to be one way, but now they're another way. They used to be controlled by their destructive desires and habits and dispositions, but now they've been liberated from their old way of life. And the death of the old way of living and the new life in Christ, Paul calls being sanctified and justified. Now, we've talked just a little bit about what it means to be sanctified, and we'll come back to that. But what does it mean that the Corinthians have been justified? Justification, what does that mean? It's a Bible word. What does it mean? Let me offer part of a definition from Unger's Bible Dictionary. It's an oldie but a goodie. Justification is a divine act whereby an infinitely holy God judicially declares a believing sinner to be righteous and acceptable before him. In other words, to be justified is to be given a particular status. It's the status of one whose sins, all of them, have been forgiven. And what's the basis of this divine act of justification? Well, let's first see what is not the basis of our justification. Paul has a lot to say about that. In Ephesians chapter 2, some of you have this passage memorized, I know. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Galatians 2, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then from our Titus 3 passage, 
He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, question, what is not the basis of our justification? We are not justified by our good behavior, by our good deeds, or by anything else we might do. Our behavior contributes nothing to our status as justified human beings. So what is the basis of our justification? Well, it's God's mercy. Justification begins with God. The Apostle Peter says this, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Question, what does resurrection have to do with our justification? Paul connects the resurrection to justification this way. Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and get this, and raised because of our justification. Christ's sacrificial death and his resurrection three days later are the historic anchor of every believer's justification. Our sin was dealt with once and for all by Christ, and his resurrection is the proof. As the Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. So if that's the basis of our justification, just how are we justified? What's the instrument of our justification? Well, what did we read in the letter to Titus? He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Believers are justified through the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Justification is a supernatural act accomplished for us by the personal presence of Christ, his Holy Spirit. And justification happens from the inside out. The Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in a person. That is just the strangest thing ever. He comes to dwell within us. He takes up residence in our bodies. And he begins to reshape from the inside out our desires. Paul says it directly in Romans chapter 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In 1 Corinthians 6, he uses the metaphor of a temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? 
whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So justification is a status. It's conferred upon me by a merciful God. It is secured and attested to by the resurrection of Christ and it manifests itself in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I contribute nothing to what the Lord has done for me. All is grace. So here's a question. What if I don't know if I've been justified? What if I don't know if the Holy Spirit dwells in me? And what if I want that? What should I do? Well, remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Justification is a gift. And what do we do when someone offers us a gift? Lots of us did this a week ago. We received it. We receive a gift. And then, remember, it's never wrong to say thank you. So let's summarize. The person who has been justified has been gifted the status of one whose sins have been completely forgiven. And that person has the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them. This status is not given because of good behavior. Good behavior contributes nothing to that standing before the Lord. Or put it another way, bad behavior doesn't determine anyone's eternal destiny. Now, this is not the way the world understands God's economy. When the world thinks about it at all, it imagines a set of cosmic scales. On the one hand of the balance are a person's good deeds. On the other are the bad deeds. And the hope is that if the good deeds outweigh the bad, maybe God will be impressed enough by that to be merciful to me. To be honest, as Christians, we can operate like that, as if the cosmic scales are real. And that is the source of all kinds of fear and frustration. That's why understanding and clinging to the truth that justification is all gift is fundamental to the Christian life. Now let's turn back to the idea of sanctification, of being set apart as holy, as be- of becoming saints. Now, given what we've said about justification, an obvious question might be, why should I care about being sanctified, about being a saint? If my behavior doesn't contribute to my justification, why should I care about my behavior at all? That is a very old question. A question the Apostle Paul had to deal with. In Romans 6, he phrased the question as a hypothetical. The Message Bible renders it this way. He says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? Well, I should hope not. Or in verse 15, he says, so since we're out from under the old tyranny of sin, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. In other words, I can't just live any old way I want just because there don't appear to be any consequences. Well, why not? 
Because there are consequences. But perhaps not like we might think. That's what we're going to explore here with our remaining time. Let's begin by just revisiting the fact of our justification and ask, what was my justification for? To begin, justification was never merely about an individual's personal salvation. Our justification accomplished much more than that. To begin, it liberated us from the power of our old destructive habits and dispositions. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We used to be one way, but now we are another way. We used to be powerless against our habits, and dispositions. But now we have been liberated from their power. We are free to do what we should in a way we had never been. I think that explains why the New Testament authors devote so much time talking about how Christians ought to behave. They want us to be clear about what we are now free to do, and they expect us to do it. To see that, just think back to our Ephesians chapter 2 passage. Only this time, let's roll in verse 10. By grace we have been saved. Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the Titus 3 passage, let's focus on verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Did you catch that? Good works. Now, there are places in the Bible where it talks about what constitutes good works. But at the end of the day, there just isn't some comprehensive list that enumerates all the possible good works. No, so instead, what the biblical authors do is they describe a far cooler project. It's the project of spiritual transformation. Here's how the Message Bible paraphrases Romans chapter 8 here. He says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lives as the life the same lines as the life of his son. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. In other words, the aim of sanctification is to transform the church into countercultural enclaves that are filled with people whose minds are so saturated with Jesus that when circumstances arise, their first response is to do and to say what Jesus would say and do. The aim of our, our sanctification is to be conformed to the character of Christ, to be saints. And all of that is possible because the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. Now, hear this. This new sanctified way of life often does little to change our circumstances or diminish the difficulties of life. 
Jesus never promised that it would. Instead, the saint life transforms the way we think about what makes us happy, about what's important. In the saint life, frustrating circumstances become external to us, and the way we experience unmet desires changes because what we desire is being changed. We're becoming different kinds of people. Paul nails the essence of this transformation in Romans chapter 6. He says this, As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you have found out you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. That is good news. The Spirit of Christ sanctifies those who have been justified by a process that over time shapes us into people who react to our circumstances like Jesus would react to those circumstances. But the process isn't automatic. It, it requires effort. Dallas Woodard had something to say about that. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. He goes on, to grow in grace means to utilize more and more grace to live by until everything we do is assisted by grace. The greatest saints are not those who need less grace, but those who consume, I like that word, consume the most grace, who indeed are most in need of grace. Those who are so saturated by grace in every dimension of their being, to them grace is like breath. Sanctification or becoming a saint is not passive. It's active and it can be hard work. It takes effort. And Willard tells us why. And we know this is true if we just think about it in our own experience. He says, after conversion or after our justification, our will and our conscious intent, therefore God, But layer upon layer of life experience that is embedded in our bodies as a living organism, born and bred in a world set against God, it doesn't directly and immediately follow the shift of our will. In fact, it retains the tendencies in which it has so long lived. So sanctification, becoming a saint, is about unlearning 
of accessing the resources of the indwelling spirit and then bit by bit having our desires reoriented so that we begin to want the things that Jesus would want if he was living our life. Now, the process of sanctification, it's anchored in the secure knowledge that even when the process gets bogged down and sin happens, and it will, the Spirit never leaves us because His presence doesn't depend on our progress. The presence of the Spirit of Christ is guaranteed for those who have experienced the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, Jesus makes a beautiful offer. He paints this wonderful picture, and he's speaking to a church that is filled with people who have either never truly experienced the indwelling of the Spirit, or people who've decided they just don't want to be saints. Jesus makes this offer to both groups. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. If you're hearing the knock of Christ this morning, I hope you consider opening the door of your soul to him. Maybe that would be for the first time. Or maybe today's the day you stop trying to balance the scales and instead sink deep into the security of the grace our Lord offers. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are a faithful, faithful Father. You sent your Son You became a man. You lived a life. You died for us to secure our justification and to give the power for us to become saints. Lord, I pray we would would say yes to that. We might open that door of our heart, Lord, and receive the justification that you so freely offer. And that we might invite you in to clean, our, to clean us up from the inside out. And that we would submit and do the work that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that as people, we would do this together. That we would encourage one another to love and good works. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.